This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 9. And the quote of the day is from Thomas Edison, who said, Opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini, and we're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and we got a great, great interview today. I got the one and only Ndugu Chancellor on the show, and for those of you who don't know who Ndugu is, <laughs> you need to look him up. He has uh, played with everybody from Michael Jackson, Bobby Hutchinson, Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, George Duke, George Benson, Carlos Santana, and the list goes on and on and on. He played on Michael Jackson's Thriller, which is the top-selling record of all time, top-selling pop record of all time, excuse me, and they have sold 50 million records, and that's certified, and I've read places that that uh, it may be upwards of 100 million records sold, and Ndugu is a super humble, super talented um, drummer, clinician, producer. He's been nominated for three Grammy Awards, and his list of credits are just amazing. But let's get into the interview. I'm so thankful that he's here to do this. Ndugu, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm glad to be a part of so, uh, so growing up, um, I know that you grew up in, uh, in Shreveport, Louisiana, and you started playing, I guess you started um, relatively at an older age, at 13, would you say? I started, thir- I started at 13, and by then we had moved to Los Angeles. Okay, so you weren't playing when you were in Shreveport, okay. No, I didn't do anything in Shreveport. Okay, I got you. Um, so, at, at 13, what did you... Uh, what, what were you playing? What were you practicing? You know, what was your uh, what was your routine? Well, I started off on snare drum, so I started playing rudiments and starting to learn to read in beginning band. Okay. And then and then I, I I went to drum set and percussion while I was in beginning band. You know, you played bass drum and snare drum and cymbals, and uh, by the time I got to high school, you, you played timpani and glock and spiel, and all the other percussion in the orchestra and the band. Mm-hmm. And at that same time, I was I was working on drum set on the side. Okay. And I, um, I remember hearing a quote of yours that you said that uh, the one thing that you made sure that there was never any, any holes in your playing. Um, can, can you kind of walk us down that road a little bit of how you – how you worked on all those styles and how you mastered well, all those styles? Well, here's, here's, the, here's the thing about holes. We talk about holes. The first thing we got to talk about is covering all the bases. And the bases being technically sound, fundamentally sound, stylistically sound. Mm-hmm. So that means the first thing you got to do is get your technique together and your fundamentals, your reading, and then you learn to play all the different styles of music. And you really immerse yourself in those styles. And really learn them. I don't mean play at them. Right. I mean get into them. Right. And, and I worked hard at that because that was my concept of what music was. Music wasn't subdivided like it is now. Music was just 
everything. Right. And it was all music. So that was what I worked on, being able to play with anybody, anything. So now did you, when you were, uh, when you were going through these, going through these different styles, did you learn one at a time or did you, or were you trying to learn them all at no, the same because time? because music is a uh, music, music, first of all, music cross pollinates. And while you're learning one, you also learn another one. I mean, just for example, if you learn to play jazz, you're learning early pop music. Mm-hmm. You know, so while you're learning to play jazz, you're learning early Afro-Cuban music. Because when you start, start playing bebop, you started playing Afro-Cuban rhythm. Mm-hmm. And I th- you know, so it wasn't segmented like people look at it now. It was all a part of the same thing. I mean, for example, you learn to play shuffles, you automatically learn to play Motown. Right. And you're playing jazz shuffles at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I didn't look at it broken up like that. I looked at it as an inclusive. I see. So you're you're saying now that everybody says it's either it's either blues or it's either jazz or it's either funk. Yeah, they want to put a label and 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 compartmentalize their approach to playing music. Right. Right. That makes sense. So when you were uh, you started when you were learning all these styles and and you were in L.A. How did you get yourself um, onto the scene? I mean, you played on some some major records. Um, so what's that? Path all those like? people were around here. All these people were around here, and one thing leads to another. For example, I played with Gerald Wilson Big Band. That exposed me to a lot of people. I worked with Harold Land at a, as a result of that. Harold Land was in the Big Band. Harold Land and Bobby Hudson called me to be a part of their small group. I worked with Alice Coltrane. That brought me to Santana. You know, I recorded with, with George Duke and Herbie Hancock. And uh, Walter Bishop Jr., that introduced me to Miles Davis. So everything links up some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And do you think it's more of uh, it's obvious? I mean, your your playing speaks for itself. Um, but do you think that getting those gigs was your playing or the friends and, and networks that you were in or a combination of both? The combination of that and being in a good place at a good time. Mm-hmm. It's a combination of things. You can never say one thing got you there. I, I had great associations with some great musicians. They liked me. They liked my playing enough to connect me with other people. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And because I'm sure that, you know, you're in LA, there's a ton of, there's a ton of people there that can, that can play well, but if, if you're not good to get along with or you're not professional or something like that, I'm, I'm guessing you're not getting hired for the gig. Right. So um, I'd, I'd definitely like to touch on on the Thriller record. Um, it's the, the most selling uh, pop record of all time. What, what was that like? What was that process like working with Michael? And Everybody only talks about Michael, but that was a team. That was Quincy Jones, Bruce Wadeen, and Michael Jackson. That's what made that whole thing the phenomenal success it was. It was a, it was an innovative production style. It was an innovative musical performance style, and it was an innovative engineering style that made that the big record it was. It was a technological breakthrough. It was a uh, producing conceptual breakthrough, and it was a performance breakthrough. So what 
I was a part of without really knowing it was the pioneering of what was going to become a new standard in how records were made. You got to understand Pro Tools is patterned after what Bruce Wadeen did technically with Thriller. Really? With tape. Yeah. Can you can you explain it a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. Um, back then, we were syncing up four and five tape machines together to get all of those multiple tracks. Right. So they had Simpy, and the Simpy code locked all those machines together. Now you've got Pro Tools. You can have hundreds of tracks together in a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce did editing and all of that by hand. He cut the tape with, with a razor blade. All of that, all of those things are now part of Pro Tools. All of the outboard gear, the compression, all of those concepts of recording. Guys like Bruce Woodin and George Matchenberg pioneered and uh, uh, Alan Sides. They pioneered all of this stuff in their natural recording techniques. Right. And they started to incorporate all of these things in the box called Pro Tools. Hmm. So basically they just, they did all the hard work and then and then someone came along and just digitized every, or digitalized it and then yeah because that was we were on the brink of doing digital records then right you know I work with Quincy a lot and I remember on the Frank Sinatra record we recorded it both analog and digital mm-hmm. so we would have it both ways oh okay okay you know so all those were the pioneering aspects of the new concepts of recording right um, Production-wise, Quincy Jones had this new concept of making every song a single, which meant his pre-production, he threw out a lot of songs, a lot of good songs, because they had to fit in with the concept, but they also had to be singles worthy. So he wanted every song on the record to be a single? Yeah. Hmm. And that hadn't been done before? Not since the early days of the 50s and 60s when you took a bunch of singles and, and combined that to make an LP. Okay. Huh. I never knew that about I never knew that about that record. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. He, he, he called every song like a Polaroid. Mm-hmm. And every Polaroid should be able to stand on its own. That makes sense. So were you working with, uh, with Quincy before that record a lot as well? Yes, 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 yes. That's how I got turned on to that record was Quincy. Oh, okay. Quincy had a stable of, of, of drummers that he used, mm-hmm. and I just happened to be one of them. Myself, J.R., Jeff McCall, Ricky Lawson, and Harvey Mason. Okay. Hmm. And my number just got called for Thriller. J.R. got called for Off the Wall. My number just happened to come up for Thriller. So go, going backwards from that... Um it's a long journey from starting at 13 to ending up there. And I know that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people out there, young up and coming drummers that are, are trying to do the same things, um, that you've done in your, I mean, you've had a widely successful, um, career and what, what advice would you have for those guys that are coming up that are trying to cover all your bases Learn to read, learn to write, learn to arrange, enjoy every style of music 
for exactly what it is. Don't think, don't think negative about anything that you do or anything that you don't like. Find the good in every aspect of music and learn to work with anybody. Take your personal feelings out of a lot of things and satisfy who you're working for and do a good job consistently. That's wise words, wise words. There was uh, another thing that I, re- I heard that you said that uh, that you never, you've never gotten called to do a drum solo, um, but everybody call, you know, everybody calls you to, to sit back and lay in the pocket and, and just play the groove. Right, because that's, that's a humbling aspect of playing music. Drum solos are, are basically for your own stamp and signature, not necessarily for the people that hire you. You're working with a singer. They don't want to hear a drum solo. They want to hear you make them sound good. Mm-hmm. So that's what people call me for. Sure. Now, there was a... Uh, I, I talked to... I interviewed James Gadson a few weeks ago as well, and we were we kind of got into his sound and, and developing his sound. Um, because I think when you hear someone like yourself or someone like James um, on a record, you can tell definitively that it's them. Um, so how did you how did you develop your sound and how did you develop that that really nice backbeat and and feel that you have? By listening to myself over and over in recording and and deciding the aspects of my playing that I liked that sounded good and that I should keep and to promote. And you you know through that you start to find what other people like, but also what you like. And then you start to grow from that. Okay. So were you listening to uh, just recordings of you playing or playing on records and and different things? I listen to myself, but I listen to everyone else too. Because it had to be in comparison to everyone else. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I, uh... You know, you always have to ask yourself, why would someone call me versus someone else? Right. Right. So making, making sure that a, you can play as many styles as possible and B you can, you can play everything correctly and, and make it feel good and and make everybody else comfortable around you because you're an accompanist rather than a a soloist. And give, give them the sound that they want and the sound that you want. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, You've, I'm just looking at the um, the different records that you've you've played on and everything. What what is your what is your uh, the the thing that you're most proud about that in your playing and in, in your career so far? The diversity of of the recordings I've done, mm-hmm. from Weather Report and Santana to Frank Sinatra to Lionel Richie and Kenny Rogers to Michael Jackson to uh, some of the more avant-garde things like John Carter and Bobby Bradford and Julian Priester and Herbie Hancock and YBC, stuff like that. I mean, there's a variety. If you look at my plan, it goes through a whole variety, which is the evolution of this music. Mm-hmm. Some of the best pop, some some of the best funk, some of the, the uh, creative, innovative jazz, jazz fusion, some of the avant-garde, and some of the, 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 the notable pop and country singers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a... Uh a wide span of, of music going from like the Miles Davis stuff to, to Michael Jackson and, and, you know, 
jazz prophets and Harold Johnson and all that stuff. It's all, like you said, it's a wide variety. Um, and I, the, I saw you a couple weeks ago at the, uh, at the Vic Firth 50th anniversary party. Um, and you know, that was a, that was a jazz gig. And, and then if it turned into a pop gig, you could have just stayed on the stage, which is refreshing because I don't think that a lot of players play like that anymore. Right. That's important to me because that's the lineage and the evolution of this music. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be able to dig deep and go into all of those because that's the music. Right. And that's, uh, but, but all the players years ago were like that, weren't they? They, I mean, everybody played, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah, played yeah. everything. Yeah. So why do you think it's, it's changing now? Because radio changed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and training changed. A guy would, would lock into one thing and he'd say, he's this or he's that. Right. So they'd say, well, I'm a gospel drummer. I'm a funk drummer. I'm a pop drummer. Not just I'm a musician. Right. And that, that changed the, 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 the whole dynamic of what you could do and who you could do it with. Hmm. I mean, if you say you're a pop drummer, you've got to be in the same big band. Regular pop, traditional pop, you know, all those kind of styles are inclusive in pop. The same thing with rock or jazz. You cover the history of that music. But nowadays, that lineage only goes back maybe 20 years with the depth of someone's playing. Right, right. So, yeah, I guess, I guess now, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of drummers are, selling themselves short and not learning, like you said, the lineage and the history of the, of the instrument. And, you know, a lot of guys are rock drummers, but they don't know who, you know, they don't know who Chuck Berry is or something like that, you know? Right. Right. And and you're saying that that's from all from the radio, from the way that radio. Uh, yeah. Because that's what they only hear one or two genres. Right. Their educational span only goes one or two genres. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got guys now that are teaching drums that don't make all their students learn all 40 minutes. Say that again? Your phone kind of cut out there a little bit. Now, you got teachers now that are teaching drums that don't make all of their students learn all 40 minutes. Right. Which That's like telling a saxophone player, don't learn all of your skills. You won't need them. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I think now that I've even had, um, I've had problems with some of my students that they don't, they don't see the value, um, in the rudiments and, and I don't know if that's because of the, you know, the instant gratification kind of thing that they don't, they can't see the big picture of what they're, what they're useful for. Um, so how, I mean, if you have a, if you have a student that doesn't see the value in the rudiments, how would you, how would you get them to, uh, demonstrate it? Demonstrate it. Mm-hmm. Take the rudiments and do ten different things with them, mm -hmm. and 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 then they'll wonder, you know, because those students that that aren't enamored by the rudiments, they're enamored by licks. Right. And their first question is, "How did you do that?" Well, the first question shouldn't be, "How did you do it?" It should be, "What did you do?" Right. And the "What did you do?" comes into that rudimental thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I try to explain that with everybody, you know, with, with students that it's, it's allowing yourself to interact between your hands and 
plays, singles, and doubles in, in any possible combination that you can think of to give yourself more versatility. That's right. And uh, But it's hard. I, I mean, it's definitely – especially kids, the, the kids nowadays. I mean, I don't know how, how young your students go. Um, I don't take them too young. No. I, I, I need them to have some found, fundamental foundation before I start to deal with them. Right. I can see that. Yeah, it's 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 definitely tough. So, um, so what are you what are you currently working on now? Uh, just finished the record with with Byron Miller. Okay. Uh, myself and the late great George Duke and Byron Miller, we were a rhythm section for years. So just before George died, we did we did a few tracks for Byron Miller's album. I have a trio album coming out. Uh, I got to start mixing on it. Uh, right after Christmas with myself, Patrice Russian, and Rhonda Smith. Okay. Those are the, the two main things that I'm working on right now. Okay. Now, do you do you still do a lot of uh, a lot of pop session work or no? Not a, as much, no. no. I do some. I have a home studio, and I do some from the home. People send tracks to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just did some sessions for the Mendez Brothers. Oh, okay. These are Cape Verdean producers. I just did some 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 tracks for for those guys. And, you know, every now and then I get called to do some stuff. I still work with David T Walker mm-hmm. and we go out and play. So those are the main things I'm doing along with me, still teaching jazz and pop at USC. Mm-hmm. How long have you been at University? USC? 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Okay. So do you, do you prefer the, uh, the educational side or do you prefer the, uh, the performance side? Better? It's all, it's uh, both. Yeah. Uh, one, 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 uh, Feeds the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one piece. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You've seen the the changes of uh, of where the music industry was and and where it is now and where it's going. Um, and so, what do you what do you think the uh, the direction of it is? You know, in the next in the next ten, fifteen, twenty years for for drummers. Well, I think for for musicians, period, now's a, a good time for musicians to get back in and shape the music the way they want to because they have the freedom now of, of playing and recording whatever they want to play and record and having a vehicle to promote it and it be heard. Not necessarily radio, but the internet, iTunes, and all of these different mediums now. You can create your own direction and it can have an audience. So I think that has opened up the playing field again for musicians to be creative beings again and mm-hmm. create new music. Do you think that, do you think that the musicians now are less creative than they were 25 years ago? No, I can't say that. I just, I feel like, um, a lot of that music doesn't get heard. Mm-hmm. You know, I think musicians are still creating, you know, but a lot of times they don't create because they have no medium or vehicle to promote what they're creating. Right. Right. You know, like you said about, about pop, you know, years ago in the, in the fifties and you know, the, that, the pop music was all the, was the big band stuff. And that was, you know, the, everybody could get their, get their music heard, so to speak. But now it's just, it just seems like if you're not in a certain genre, then there's no, you know, there's no, uh, there's no medium, like you said, to get it out there. Right. But now so, there I, is a medium to get it out there. So now you can put out whatever you, you 
you feel like you believe in, you can create it now. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at an Adele, you know, that was a little against the grain. Great songs, but a little against the grain for what was standardized at that point. But look how big that was. Right. You know, and that's right. that's due to just taking a gamble. Look at Corrine Bailey Ray. You know, look mm-hmm. at Leander Harris. You know, all of those. They're, they're, they're doing what they felt and believed in, and there's a market for it. Sure. Sure. And I, I've had this conversation numerous times with numerous people that I, I feel like years ago there was a, there was a proving ground or a, a, a process of, that you had to go through because everybody couldn't record records because it was so expensive. So the cream always ri- rose to the top. So now there's no, there's no barriers to entry, so to speak. So I wonder, I always wonder, it's kind of a double-edged sword for me because I said, does that mean that, you know, all of the, the people that shouldn't uh, make it through, you know, they make it through, um, but at the same time, it's allowing the people that should make it through to be able to, to make it through on their own. So, Well, do, do, they, yeah. do those that, that don't deserve to make it through, do they really make it through? Because those that don't deserve to make it through have no longevity. Right. And those that, that really have put the time and the work into this, they have longevity. They can they can come back again and again. I mean you got you got institutions, legends and, and people that have been doing this for ten years, twenty years, thirty years. I mean you take someone like Prince, that's staying power. Mm-hmm. You take a Stevie Wonder, that's staying power. That's not like a, right. a three or five year run. That's a that's a, a whole, you know, a couple of decades. You know, so sure. That's that's staying power, but that's staying power based on direction, evolution of direction, great songs, great plans. Mm-hmm. So and you know that's a lot of times you know everybody says that if a, a tunes out you know and it's hot you know everybody knows ah well they'll be gone in a year and no one will ever talk about them again you know yeah so so I guess that is the I guess that is the uh, the barometer of the, you know, your longevity speaks for whether, you know, whether the medium was there or not. I think that, you know, say Prince was out now, I think he would, you know, he would still do exactly what he, uh, what he did years ago. You That's know, right. He would still break That's through right. and stay and stay there. That's so, right. It's an interesting, interesting way to look at it. I never, never thought of it that way. So we have a lot of, um, up and coming drummers that that listen to this. So, if you have any bits of advice or, or words of wisdom that you can share with them, that would be great. So, the player has to do much more listening than the listener coming to enjoy the music. And if that player is doing that listening, he will become a great player. That is wise words, wise words. I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I like I said, thank you, uh, thank you so much for doing this. It was it was really a pleasure, and and hearing some of your insight and hearing uh, some of these stories have been have been great. I I sincerely appreciate it. Not a problem. Call me anytime. And you know, I got a new book out now. You do. My book is called Pocket Change. It's by Google Chancellor. It's an e-book available on Amazon, iTunes, all that available for Kindle Nook and uh, 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 iPads and iPhones and all of that. 
Um, I have some hard copies, but I'm I'm pushing the green thing of the ebook, so that's the way I'm really pushing the sales of it. Okay. Yep. I see it right here on uh, on Amazon, and I'll in the show notes for uh, for this interview, I'll put the uh, put the link to where you can buy it as well. Yeah. I will definitely do that. Yeah, I'm actually I'm gonna buy it right now. <laughs> <laughs> buy it now with one click. There we go. <laughs> Done. It's on. It, it's already bought. It's on its way to my house. All right. If you have any questions about anything in there, call me. I definitely will. And like I said, I'll put the link on here, and uh, you know, hopefully, some of the listeners will go out and and buy it too. I'm sure that it's great. I'm I'm really excited about it now. I've been looking for a new book to read. So this all right. Well, it's some good reading there. I mean, yeah, they're drum exercises, but. It's my philosophy and all that on, on how you get there. So okay. you can tie that into the interview you just did because there are a lot of things in that book that I talk about that are things that helped me build this whole career. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I think a lot of, uh, that's why I, I started this website, The Drummer's Resource, because I want it to be a place where drummers can go and they can find out more than just, you know, how to play you know, a rudiment or how to, how to play on, like, I think that there's not a lot of information out there of like how to promote yourself, how to. Right. Right. Well, I deal with a lot of those things in the book. Oh, how okay, to take great. care of your business, how to present yourself, you know, all of that, how to read contracts, all of that. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I can't wait to, uh, I can't wait to check it out. I've read, I read through, uh, through Zorro's book, um, the big gig, which I I thought was really insightful. Um, so I'm looking for, if this is, I'm guessing this is kind of along the same lines of that in, in terms of, you know, the things other than, than you're playing that you need to take into consideration as well. Right. So great. I'm excited to read it. I'm, I'm, uh, like I said, it should be here. It'll be here in two days. So All right. <laughs> great. All well, right, Dugu, brother. again, thank you. Thank you so much. And, uh, I'll definitely, I'll definitely be in touch soon. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks. Have a good day. All right. All right, see you. Bye-bye. So that was the man himself, Mr. Indugu Chancellor. Be sure to check him out at indugu-chancellor.com. That's N-D-U-G-U, chancellor.com. Check us out online, drummersresource.com, facebook.com forward slash drummersresource, or if you want to get at me on Twitter, I'm at Nick underscore Ruffini, R-U-F-F. I-N-I. And if you want to get these podcasts earlier than everyone else, sign up for the VIP list at drummersresource.com and I'll send you a link where you can download the podcast before they're released. Also in the show notes, you can check out Indugu's new book, Pocket Change, as well as some other resources that are on there. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you later. Peace.